0: Amen. Well, as we consider Matthew chapter 5 this morning, our focus text is going to be verses 31 and 32. Verses 31 and 32. Hear now the holy word of God written for you and for me today. Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Thus far, the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, congregation of the Lord, Thus far in Christ's exposition of the law, his focus has been on sin in the heart, as he continues to open our understanding to where sin truly begins and where it is found. The heinous sin of murder begins in the heart as it is fueled by sinful anger and pride and and ungodly hatred. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, the Apostle John teaches us in 1 John 3.15. But Jesus has also opened our eyes in the Sermon on the Mount to see the grave law-breaking of adultery. He has revealed the full extent of this sin as he has shown us the error of the Pharisees in teaching that the law was broken only in the physical act. That, and that is when the people would be in danger of the judgment of the church courts, not before, but then. But what did Jesus say? He said, no, God's law is broken far before the act is carried out. It's, it's broken with the look to lust in the heart. For when one looks to lust after another, it is then that they have already committed adultery with that person in their heart. Oh, how quickly and deadly lust sparks through the eyes of our hearts. We see someone who isn't lawfully ours, and we crave them. Oh, how quick lust flips the switch in our hearts, to abandon the one who is lawfully ours and we are in covenant with. Oh, how quick lust flips the switch and and lures those who aren't married down the path toward fornication. But praise the Lord Jesus Christ that considering the sin that he has freed us from bondage to, he graciously provides us. The way of escape, the path that we need to take to flee temptation and to deal with any sin that's within. And what is Christ's instruction to you and me regarding adultery? Kill lust, kill covetousness, and kill it quickly before it kills you. We need to deal with our eyes and our hands, don't we, beloved? We need to mortify sin in our hearts and practice godly control of our eyes, of the gateway that leads to lustful desires in the heart. We must also stay far from the, the physical act of adultery that the hand represents. And so Jesus goes on in our text this morning to speak more about the sanctity and the bond of marriage and how adultery affects that bond. In many ways, we can consider this text as part two of Jesus' teaching on the seventh and tenth commandments. And so let us consider the certificate of divorce that is spoken of in verse 31, unbiblical reasons for divorce in verse 32a, and divorce and remarriage in verse 32b. Look at what Christ goes on to say in verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, my friends, the the disciples had been taught previously about how divorces were to be carried out. And where did this instruction come from? It came from the case law In Deuteronomy 24, the first four verses. And there we read, note, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, If the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as and inheritance. Take note, beloved, that this portion of God's law in these verses doesn't command divorce, but it regulates it as a tragic reality among sinful people. The dissolution of a marriage wasn't to be taken lightly, and it wasn't to be carried out lightly. The same is true today. A marriage covenant wasn't to be ended by simple word of mouth or by verbal agreement, but rather it was to be done solemnly by a legal certificate in writing, attested by witnesses, and the same is true today as a divorce must be finalized legally through a court. And yet, what is true about marriage? Marriage is designed by God to be a sacred and binding covenant between one man and one woman for life. Until death do they part. It's a covenant that is entered into before God and witnesses on the basis of the solemn vow of the man and the woman to become one flesh. And we know this to be true from Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And we're also taught this in Malachi chapter 2. If you haven't studied Malachi or read it lately, I encourage you to. It's a wonderful prophet in the Old Testament, last book of the Bible, uh, excuse me, last book of the Old Testament, and um, these verses in particular are good to study on this subject. We see in Malachi 2.14, which speaks clearly to the covenant bond and the treachery of infidelity, we read there, yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Beloved, the marriage bond, the marriage covenant, is sacred, it's solemn, needs to be taken seriously. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 24, section 2, helps us to better understand what marriage is. It says, Marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife, for the increase of mankind with legitimate issue, and of the church with a holy seed and for the preventing of uncleanness. All of which we see connected to on this subject that Christ is teaching us here about in the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? And isn't it? Uncleanness here, that the, what the confession is talking about, is referring to sexual immorality. Immor- By God's design, the man and woman complete each other and are to enjoy intimacy as well as procreation by God's blessing and provision in keeping with his dominion mandate. But further, we've we've learned more about the sanctity of marriage from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. As marriage between a husband and a wife is to display Christ's glorious and mysterious relationship with his church, And as I mentioned last week, as we considered part one of this subject on adultery, adultery is so deadly and so damaging and so heinous as it really is tearing apart that glorious picture that is to display Christ and his relationship with the church. Now, because all of these things are true, Though God provided regulation for divorce to his sinful people, along with protection for the divorced wife in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, know that Jesus reveals in Matthew 19, verse 8, that this provision was made for a specific purpose and reason. And that reason was the hardness of their hearts. The bottom line, beloved, is this. What does God think of divorce? He hates it. He hates it. We see this to be true, again, back in Malachi chapter 2, as we continue in verses 15 and 16, note that it says there, but he, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. And notice this, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. And why? For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Treacherously. Solemn warning, grave warning, eye opening warning. We should take from those words very clearly God hates divorce. And because this is true, we must deal rightly, as in everything. We must deal rightly in following all of God's commands, but especially here in regards to our wives and even wives to their husbands, we must not deal treacherously. Now considering this, Jesus once again opens his disciples' understanding in in Matthew 5 to the extent of the law by giving an exception to the no-divorce rule. He provides guardrails for biblical divorce and therefore also shining the light to reasons that are off the rails, and are unbiblical. Look at verse 32a in Matthew 5. He says, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Now as many in that day divorced for a variety of reasons, The big question that Jesus is answering here is, on what grounds can divorce be carried out biblically? We find the same pattern, question, and answer to be applicable today, don't we? Beloved, know that the sin of adultery destroys the marriage covenant and provides biblical grounds for divorce. And this being said, It's important to note that Jesus isn't requiring divorce if there's adultery. He is only saying that the innocent party can pursue divorce in such a case. However, the ideal situation is that though they have grounds, the marriage should seek to be preserved. Repentance should occur. Forgiveness of the sin granted and and reconciliation pursued but see also that as jesus says what the very narrow biblical ground is he also points to all others being unbiblical and would cause the wife to commit adultery and why because in god's eyes which are the eyes that matter in god's eyes the marriage covenant would still be lawfully intact and binding. Beloved, it isn't lawful to divorce for any reason that the couple wants. It isn't lawful to divorce because the relationship is strained or one or both spouses are unhappy or the relationship has just lost its spark. It isn't lawful to divorce because of so-called irreconcilable differences. Consider Jesus' answer in Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, as he answers the Pharisees' question. We read, beginning in verse 3, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Expanded, but very similar words here to his words in Matthew 5. But further, beloved, as we consider the whole counsel of God, remember what the Apostle Paul taught the saints in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 12. He says, But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister, note, is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. My friends, see that verse 15 here gives us the second ground for biblical divorce and that being of willful desertion. Paul says that we are called to peace, though notice that as well. If the unbeliever is willing to stay, verse 12, stay with them. If they leave, Paul says, let them go. In that case, the Christian spouse isn't bound to stay married. Again, like with adultery, divorce isn't required here. In fact, the better way would to seek to be at peace would be to seek reconciliation. Again, we're guided well and carefully minded from Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 24, but here in in sections five and six, as we get a better understanding of these grounds and guardrails. In section five, it says this, Adultery or fornication committed after a contract, being detected before marriage, giveth just occasion to the innocent party to dissolve that contract. In the case of adultery after marriage, it is lawful for the innocent party to sue out a divorce, and after the divorce, to marry another as if the offending party were dead. Although, section 6, the corruption of man be such as is apt to study arguments unduly to put asunder those whom God hath joined together in marriage, yet nothing but adultery or such willful desertion, and notice this, as can no way be remedied by the church or civil magistrate, is cause sufficient for dissolving the bond of marriage." Notice that as as this occasion may arise, it is the responsibility of the innocent party, the parties involved in the marriage to seek these things out. But also notice that if it can't be resolved by the church or even the civil magistrate, eh, we've got a problem here though, don't we? The magistrate tends to just welcome it. Let's go to divorce court and get it done. They're not seeking to stop it. They're not seeking to pursue any other path be done before the document's signed and everything's official. We see the problem there. The confession, uh, chapter 24, section 6, finishes by saying this wherein a public and orderly course of proceeding is to be observed, and the persons concerned in it, not left to their own wills and discretion in their own case. So what about remarriage after divorce? What about remarriage after divorce? Look at verse 32b in Matthew 5. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery, Christ says. Now, as we've gleaned from both Scripture and the Confession, lawful remarriage after divorce is different when considering the guilty party and the innocent party. In the case of adultery, the adulterer can't lawfully remarry in God's eyes. They must remain unmarried. However, the innocent party can remarry in the Lord as if the offending party were dead. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 19, uh, 19 verse 9 where he said, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, though there is some debate, I believe the same is true with willful desertion. The deserter should remain unmarried. However, the innocent party can remarry in the Lord as if the deserter were dead. Now, here also Paul's words about remarriage after the death of a spouse in Romans 7, verses 2 and 3. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Beloved, it is wonderful here how in very challenging and difficult situations and cases here, when it is about divorce and remarriage, that the Lord provides the clear guidance and truth for us to follow. As we consider this passage this morning, beloved, may the sanctity and the beauty of marriage as God has created and ordained it to be, be impressed even more in your heart today. I pray that that's true. God designed the bond of marriage, and he loves it. He designed the display of marriage to show forth his son and the church, the the bridegroom and his beautiful and glorious bride. He designed that sacred bond to be for life. And therefore, he hates divorce. And this should be true for you too. Do you hate divorce? With all of the challenges of marriage, with with all of the sin that we sinners commit against one another in our marriages, it's only by the grace of God that our marriages are sustained and go on for the glory of Christ. (laughs) That is so true and considering the relational pain and destruction that adultery and desertion bring along with all other sins. Some of you may think in your times of struggle, Lord, I I would like a large, maybe even a larger escape hatch. I I would like a, a, a big eject button so that I can blow this bond. And yet, though those thoughts may go, even how quickly they may go, or even how much they may linger, though those thoughts may be going through your mind as you think about these guardrails for a divorce this morning, I pray that you will be all the more diligent to be carefully and lovingly seeking to preserve that which the Lord has wonderfully made and brought together in your marriage. The Lord does not make mistakes. And he has brought you together with your husband or with your wife for thick or thin, in the good times and the bad, Sinners bouncing and rubbing and clashing up against each other in all sorts of ways. Some of which sharpens us. Some of which hurts us. But I desire and I pray that you would think about your need to focus on the details of your relationship with your husband or wife in order to strengthen it, not to escape it. And then take intentional steps to heal what is hurt, to rebuild what is broken, and to grow in what is good by the grace of God. For what the Lord has done, who he has brought together, let no man separate. Rely on God. Seek to follow Christ and be godly in your marriage. Again, heal what is hurt, rebuild what is broken, grow what is good by the grace of God. As our God is the God of reconciliation, which we see wonderfully in the person and work of Christ. We see wonderfully in the, in the call of the church to be about the ministry of reconciliation I encourage you to humbly repent and to seek reconciliation in all areas, even if these heinous sins tragically happen. It's all for the glory of Christ, beloved. It's all for the glory of Christ. Again, Jesus is laying out the wonderful picture and the details of what life in the kingdom looks like what life and relationships in the kingdom looks like. Seek to be good followers of him, beloved, and follow his commands. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we pray that the truths of your word here would resonate in our hearts and minds. Oh God, help us. With our marriages, help us to be committed to strengthening them each and every day as we depend upon you and not weakening them. Help us to deal with lust in our hearts, and may you, by your Spirit's work, grow and deepen true and sincere love within us, and that towards you and our spouse. Give us a strong defense, Lord, we pray, against lust, against adultery, and cause us, O God, to seek reconciliation and preservation of that which you have brought together. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.